Welcome to Original Reporting, where we look at incentives in the media ecosystem for high-quality original journalism. I'm Tomer Ovadia, and in this episode, we look at where original content is created and how incentives to produce it have changed. Quick disclaimer, this podcast is the result of my night visiting Neiman Fellowship at Harvard University, where I studied these dynamics for one month while on leave from my day job. The podcast is not intended to be an exhaustive or conclusive report, and while I normally am employed as a software engineer working on Google News, Google had no role in the creation of this podcast or in my decision to participate in this fellowship, and any opinions I express in the podcast are solely my own. I'm Martha Minow, and I teach at Harvard Law School, and I'm the former dean here. Talk to me about what original content means to you and the implications that you see incentives for original content have on the news ecosystem. Well, I'm a lawyer, and I am a constitutional lawyer, and I think about the critical role of accountability journalism from the perspective of maintaining a democracy. And accountability journalism, in my mind, means a vigilant press that is watching the activities of government and other creators of actions affecting ordinary human lives. That requires constant activity. Flint residents being told not to drink tap water. A new study is showing an increased level of lead in young children. Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha revealed that in the 17 months since the switch to Flint River water, the number of children with high levels of lead in their blood had doubled, and in some neighborhoods, tripled. I don't mean to sound cynical, but when they're not watched, governments do not always do the right thing. The state knew about it and did nothing. But the authorities denied there was a problem. So it's perhaps a narrow slice of original uh, content, but it's the one that I care the most about. It's the um, daily monitoring and reporting, oftentimes with long-term investigative reporting, of what goes on in the halls of power. The local level is the crisis in America right now because the drying up of the uh, local newspapers, local uh, broadcast um, is producing what the Pew Charitable Trust Research groups call news deserts, uh, areas in the country where there is no local news. So that is a crisis right now. The loss of uh, uh, current, uh, regular, daily uh, coverage of local news. I met with the public health scientist who blew the whistle on the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. And I said, this is such a horrible story. She said, well, the real story is that there are Flint, Michigans all over America that don't have local news exposing it. What do we want? So I wanted to understand where most original reporting happens. And once I figured that out, I wanted to understand how incentives have changed for those institutions to continue producing original content. I found an August 2019 study that shed light on the first question. 
Hi, I'm Jessica Mahone, and I am a research associate in the DeWitt Wallace Center for Media and Democracy at Duke University. Can you tell me about what you set out to learn in your research? So based on previous research that we had done, just looking at the content of news across 100 communities that were randomly sampled throughout the U.S., we wanted to kind of do a deeper dive into specifics of different outlet types and see sort of what differences we could see in production of content across radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and online only outlets. So this study sought to understand what content is available to communities across the U.S. So they used census data to identify 493 communities that have populations between 20,000 and 300,000. And then they selected 100 of these communities at random. Then they generated a list of local media outlets that are physically present in each of these communities. And then they went to their websites and crawled all of the articles that were on their homepages for a period in the summer of 2016. Quick note, even TV and radio stations these days will post online versions of significant stories that were originally in video or audio. Then they took all these articles and categorized them. The origins of this work were to figure out, like, how can you define and measure quality journalism? And we would argue that the highest level of quality is, is something original, is it local, and is it addressing a critical information need? Original, in other words, was your organization involved in the creation of the content, excluding wire stories by the Associated Press or any other partners? Local, so that usually excludes articles about Trump, for example. And three, addressing a critical information need, which they defined using a report that was presented to the FCC, and that included eight categories like emergencies and risks, health, education, transportation, political life, etc. And what we found is local newspapers, which we have all heard are dwindling and struggling, they're actually outperforming every other outlet type. Newspapers produced about half of the original stories, 60% of the local stories, and 40% of the critical stories. They produced 60% of the stories that were all three, original, local, and critical. TV and radio each produced 15% that were all three, and online-only outlets produced 10%. So is it fair to say that a conclusion of the report is that the closing of a local newspaper is much more significant in terms of the loss of original, local, and critical information than the closing of a radio station or TV outlet or, or even an online-only news outlet? Yes. Um, there's not really any anything that comes close to performing the way a newspaper does, at least not currently. For a more qualitative sense for this, here is longtime investigative reporter and recently retired UC Berkeley journalism professor Lowell Bergman. I don't know that anything could make up for the volume that was created by local newspapers, for instance. There's no, there's no question that local news organizations are really the, the fundamental ground on which everything else is built. Today, legacy publishers, especially local publishers, still largely produce the original reporting that drives the conversation that television and radio news then depend on. 
For example, New York's local television station, Spectrum News NY1, has a segment every morning in which they hold up and summarize newspapers. Time to look at some of what's in the papers on this Wednesday morning. We have an exclusive from Newsday to lead off today. Albany writer Yancey Roy says state Senate Democrats are about the front page of the Staten Island Advance. They've been looking at school zone safety over a period of seven years. To understand the incentives that these local outlets face, I spoke with three people. One is a local reporter and a former fellow at the Neiman Foundation. I'm Mary Ellen Kloss, and I am the Tallahassee bureau chief for the Miami Herald. The second is a local editor, also a fellow at the Neiman Foundation. Hi, my name is Nate Payne. I'm executive editor of the Traverse City Record Eagle in Traverse City, Michigan. And our third guest works on monetizing local news. My name is Bridget Williams. I'm the SVP of Strategy and Operations for the Digital Group at Hearst Newspapers. Hearst is one of the country's largest owners of local newspapers, including the San Francisco Chronicle. I wanted to understand from them what this actually looks like on the ground. Why do local newspapers do original reporting? Have those incentives changed? And do newspapers disproportionately produce the content that drives the conversation? So I spoke with them about the report we discussed earlier that showed that local newspapers are a significant source of original content. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think those numbers were any surprise to anyone who has worked in a local newsroom and really paid much attention to the flow of information and the flow of content over the past decade. I have watched it happen. Uh, I cover state government and politics, and so there are fewer and fewer reporters covering the Capitol, you know, fewer than ever. Um, But when we write stories, we tend to set the agenda. Um, When we break a story, um, news oftentimes it's the television reporters that take our coverage and echo it. You know, there someone did a study that said if local newspapers went away, you know, radio would have nothing to read. Um, <laughs> you know, TV would have nothing in their headlines, and the same would go for a lot of these blogs and aggregation. The volume of content that flows from newspapers dwarfs all other all other news outlets or sources. My newsroom employs twenty one journalists. All other news organizations combined in the area that we cover may may employ an equal number total between them. You know, a lot of what Axios or Politico is, pub- is publishing is a local story somewhere. And why do you choose to invest so heavily in, in this kind of original content, but other maybe TV or radio in the area don't as much? I think you you know to some extent you have to understand the news ecosystem to to answer that question. I mean, hi- historically, because newspapers generate more, they do a lot more of the legwork, and many many other news organizations rely on a symbiotic relationship with newspapers. You know, it also comes down to a business model issue. You know, historically, newspapers were the organizations that could generate enough revenue to support that many journalists. I do think that newspapers continue to be sort of the agenda setters when it comes to public policy and government reporting, and often political reporting. So so if you think about it like an aquatic ecosystem, you know, we're generating the food that feeds bigger fish. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and you take that away and all the bigger fish die. Even though the, the number of, of um, 
newspaper reporters is shrinking, we still have an outsized influence on the agenda. Okay, so given that local newspapers are important sources of original news content, I wanted to understand if financial realities allowed them to continue doing original reporting. If you consider two axes, print versus online, and advertising versus subscriptions, newspapers for a long time relied primarily on print, advertising, with some revenue coming from print, subscriptions, or sales. News publishers had adapted to the invention of radio and TV by running ads on them, so they tried to do the same for the internet. I think newspapers felt that if they could increase their online traffic, even though digital ads were not as valuable as print ads, there, there was hope that maybe we could continue to rely on advertising as a revenue source. But as we saw in the last episode, advertising online was a traffic play. You needed an immense amount of traffic to make that work. BuzzFeed and the Huffington Post could maybe make that work, but local outlets by definition serve a smaller audience. The math doesn't work in the same way. And so then we had to rethink what approaches we were going to use. Is a city council story going to generate enough traffic to sustain the journalist who spent, you know, five or seven hours producing that story. It's very easy to, um, let's say you're doing a multimedia interactive, you have the reach of the New York Times, the ROI, (laughs) if you're doing newsroom ROI, the newsroom ROI on that is often very effective, right? Right. Uh, Imagine bringing that same uh, level of, you know, content production ambition to life in Albany. Uh, very difficult to make that math work. So why is the math difficult to make work? I, I mean, Albany has 800,000 residents right. in the DMA. And so if this is a blockbuster local story, you will, if you hit it out of the park. What if you got all 800,000 people in Albany to read it? That would still be a, a fraction of the reach that the New York Times could get. So if you're a local publisher, then there aren't even enough potentially interested readers for advertisements to pay for the production of your original content. And even if you do produce something everyone will want to read, if it's that important, other publishers will aggregate your content and siphon off some of your readers, getting value for some of the work that you paid for. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen plenty of examples of, and could probably cite many, you know, many instances where the value of local reporting is just robbed by news organizations that effectively just grab and grab reword and regurgitate original reporting from from local news organizations or regional news organizations i think there's been an ongoing um frustration with the national publications rewriting uh, redoing a story and not referencing the original i cannot say on behalf of first we're upset about this i can't point to 12 instances of this happening but i think we're more likely to reference a national publication than a national publication would say 
as reported in the San Francisco Chronicle yesterday. Do you have a hypothesis as to why? Why aren't national publications more attentive to that sort of journalistic responsibility to give credit? I definitely don't think it's on purpose. I don't think they're paying as much attention. You know, like they, they loom large in our lives. I don't think our local newsrooms loom large in theirs. And, and because the internet way works the way the internet works, there is a priority placed on stories put out by those news organizations because of their size or their, or their reach versus the, the local or the regional. There's a lot of times where we will write a story and be the first one to write it, and a, news, a television station or a, a radio station picks up our story and gives us credit, sometimes links to it, most of the time doesn't. But then when you do a search of that story, it's their pickup of my story that gets the Google search. And instead of having the Miami Herald be the one that gets that, that, that click, um, it's somebody who, who took our intellectual property and, and just, you know, used it. Our reporting is grabbed up by somebody else and no real value is added to it. It's just regurgitated to a larger audience. I see. And it's, and it's regurgitated to a larger audience because of the way platforms work. Can you tell me more about that? I mean, if I took the exact same story and put it out on my newspaper's website and put it out on, on the New York Times website, the exact same story, which one would return higher in results, in search results? Sounds like you're, you're thinking the New York Times website would appear higher. I, I, I think we, we, have, we have seen that. I think what they struggle with is who has something first and who has something more, uh, who has something better and who should get the, the SEO love in that scenario. At some time last year, I, I had a really interesting screenshot of a local story from my paper, something of statewide interest and a little bit of national interest that they had broken that returned, I think, four tiers down in the search results and an AP story, which was an abbreviated version of our own story that was published, it was republished by multiple other outlets, returned above ours. So, so you, you'd be hard pressed to say that there, that that return structure has anything to do with anything other than the, the size of the typical audience reached by that news organization. In January 2020, former chief of staff in the Trump administration, John Kelly, attended an event in Florida, and he made some comments related to the impeachment hearings happening at the time. The Sarasota Herald Tribune reported on those comments, and it was picked up by national publishers. Some, like CNN, cited the Herald Tribune last night in the Sarasota Herald Tribune got some of his remarks. And just- but some, like MSNBC, didn't. 
Here's a clip of them citing the New York Times. And we were just handed some reporting from the New York Times' Peter Baker that says this. John Kelly, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, backs Bolton. In this particular case, that MSNBC anchor wasn't reading a New York Times article, but a tweet by a New York Times reporter. That tweet did link and give credit to the Herald Tribune. MSNBC is the one that didn't acknowledge that and only cited the New York Times. It's like a game of telephone in which the credit to the original publisher is sometimes lost. The bottom line is you want credit for your work and your news organization for, should generate some sort of return for that work because, you know what, in that ecosystem, without, without that reporter from Sarasota being staffed at that event and that news organization having the, having the financial ability to staff that reporter at that event, no one would know about it. Let me clarify. I don't. The Washington Post and the New York Times are not practice every day rewriting our content. Like they, they just they don't do that. What what they will tend to do if there is a story in a local market that has national interest is they will go report the story the next day, like we never reported the first story. So yes, like link backs and credit are are extraordinarily important. And where that story and where that reporter's work returns in in search returns and in say, you know, Google News ranking should should certainly reflect the the importance of that reporter's presence and being there and being first or only. Our SEO footprint has gotten better over time as I think, you know, I don't know if it's what we're doing or they're doing, but I believe that they're trying to solve this problem. Facebook is a whole different beast. I don't know if they uh, value uh, the quality of the content. I think they, I think there is a binary thing that they're trying, which says, this is real, this isn't. But beyond that, I don't think they want to wade in. I spoke with Jim Vandehei. I'm Jim Vandehei, co-founder and CEO of Axios. Who has had the experience of starting a new publisher several times in his career. He worked at the Washington Post, then started Politico in 2006, and then left Politico in 2016 to start Axios. So he's faced these incentives during different eras, and he was a bit more direct. So then you ask, why would somebody aggregate? Why, why is there so much aggregation? Why would people even build units to aggregate? He said this is because of companies like Google. Because of uh, Facebook. Because of Twitter. For the most part, and this is only starting to change, they don't really provide that much of a benefit to the original source. All of them in different ways are trying to rectify that. But for the most part, if you were first or you just had an algorithmic advantage because of uh, how long you've been around or the number of followers that you had or the quality of your search engine optimization and your content management system, you, as the person who essentially stole the content, could get as much value as the original source of that content. So what do I mean? So I could. So Axios is a new company. We naturally, especially in the early years, don't have 
the the search engine optimization prioritization inside of Google that that someone who's been around 15 years would have. We don't have the number of, of, of followers or fans on Twitter or Facebook, so we could get a huge scoop. And then let's say the Huffington Post or CNN or whoever else could aggregate that. And because they have algorithmic or sort of legacy bias in those systems, they might get 100x the number of readers on our original piece of content. And so when you say, well, why do people do it? They do it largely for that reason. If you think of Google, Facebook, Twitter, they all had incentives for speed and for uh, tweaks to the delivery of content so it matched the ecosystem as opposed to benefiting the original source. Like, I, I, And I think this is actually, uh, Google's. I know is making efforts on this now. I think Facebook is starting to make some efforts on this now. But if you could go back five or 10 years ago or even two years ago, I wish there would have been a media constitution written and that one of the amendments to that would be that that all platforms would have a built-in strong bias for the original first source, especially when it comes to an exclusive scoop or something that did not exist until that source reported it, because that then would increase the value proposition of original content. Here is Jeff Sonderman, the deputy executive director of the American Press Institute. Well, I mean, that really is the biggest thing is just, you know, featuring it when it deserves to be featured. You know, if there's if somebody really has, uh, some organization has put in the work to really deliver a big news scoop that's been originally reported carefully and, and you know, through investigations and whatnot, um, and they release that and the top story, when you Google that topic is some aggregator of it, you know, that's that's bad. Uh, one, it's, it's bad for the news organization because they kind of deserve in some sense the credit for it, but it's also, it's not great for the user who's, uh, they went to search for this to find out this thing everyone's talking about, and they're not actually finding the right thing. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot of I think converging interests about yeah, let's point to the best, most reliable um, uh, version of a story. Now, it's not always the case that there's one best original scoop and everyone else is copying right on a. You know, Iowa caucuses happened last night and everybody's covering the Iowa caucuses and how, how you say what's the most uh, uh, definitive version of that is, I think, a lot trickier. But as we heard earlier, even if every reader in the target audience of a local publisher's original content were to visit that publisher's site, that would usually not be enough traffic to generate advertising revenue to pay for that content because local news affects relatively fewer people. And oftentimes it won't attract a large enough audience to be funded by mass advertising. For example, Nate gave the story of his paper, the Travis City Record Eagle, uncovering groundwater contamination that affected a few hundred homeowners. PFAS groundwater contamination uh, from a military base that's just off the edges of our coverage area but is not covered by another another news organization. And we we covered pretty heavily the contamination and how it affects a few hundred homeowners who live nearby and, and have water wells that many of them have water wells that were contaminated. Here's a quote from David Simon, the creator of the popular TV series The Wire and a longtime reporter for the Baltimore Sun in 2009 when he testified to Congress. The day I run into a Huffington Post reporter 
at a Baltimore zoning board hearing is the day that I will be confident that we've actually reached some sort of equilibrium. You know, there, there's no glory in that kind of journalism, but that is the bedrock of what keeps, you know, got the next 10 or 15 years in this country are going to be a halcyon era for state and local political corruption. It is going to be one of the great times to be a corrupt politician. Right? <laughs> what? You know, I, I really envy them. I really do. <laughs> In the next episode of Original Reporting. It is the reason that the San Francisco Chronicle exists is to produce high quality original content that subscribers want. That's, that's it. That's not going to meet the traffic goal. The house is on fire. They've got to throw cats on, on the fire. We look at the strategies publishers are currently employing in response to the incentives that we explored in the last episode. We'll hear some case studies from national, local, and investigative publishers. You're going to aggregate the things that drive the most attention. You're going to aggregate crap. Uh, you don't really know the value of what you're left holding at the end of a bubble like that until the bubble bursts and you really look inside of it. Huge thanks to the Neiman Foundation for supporting the research behind this podcast, especially Leah Becerra for helping make it possible and the Neiman Fellows for their invaluable guidance. The local news clips on the Flint water crisis featured audio from several television reports, including CBS Sunday Morning. 